Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. I love being with you guys. It's just so good to gather as saints and, and worship the Lord. And, and uh, what, I, what I wanna do this morning is to continue to magnify the Lord together. That, that word stood out to me. It happens, it occurs a couple times in, in the Psalms, but made me think like, what does it mean to magnify God? Like when you magnify something, do you make the thing bigger? No, the, the thing doesn't change size, but you use a lens to supernaturally zoom in and enhance and be able to see deeply into whatever you are magnifying. And so today, I want us to, um, I want us to magnify the Lord together, which means that we are going to use a supernatural lens to look at God. And that lens that we're going to look at God through is Jesus, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, his words, his ways, his good nature. That's how we are going to look at the Father today and uh, magnify him. Does that sound like a, a good time? Yeah. All right, good. I think so too. Um, I want to invite you into a, a family discussion I had with my kids. Um, we were driving to school not too long ago, and I, uh, they had questions about the cross. They had questions about how Jesus showed us the, the love of the Father and like basically why, why the cross. And, and, and so I asked them this. I said, um, I had four out of our five kids in the car at the time. I asked them, if, guys, if someone convinced you that I wasn't a good dad and I didn't actually love you, but I only tolerated you, if someone convinced you that I couldn't actually be trusted and it actually turned your heart against me and you withheld your affection from me from that day forward, and they're already interrupting me, right? Because they're kids. They're like, that's ridiculous, dad. No, no one could ever convince us of that. And, <clears throat> but I said, well, let's just pretend that someone did. Someone really deceived you. And for for decades, uh, you decided that we were enemies. And I, I asked them, would, would, if, you, if you decided that we were enemies and you were gonna withhold your affection from me as your dad, would I make sure to make your life a living hell or make sure that you got tortured forever? And they giggled, of course, like, no, of course not. And I asked them, well, wouldn't just you missing out on the joy and affection of our family be a terrible enough consequence? Wouldn't you be self-punishing yourself by re relegating yourself outside the circle of affection of our family? And what if you were completely deceived into hating me? What would happen if Decades down the road, we actually got a chance to meet. We got a chance to hash it out. But at that point, you were so enraged and you had such a twisted idea of me as your dad in your mind that you decided this is the opportunity that I'm gonna pour out my accusation, my anger, my rage, and you actually began to, to hit me. And I asked them, would I punch you back? 
would I, would I be violent towards you in that moment when you were pouring out your accusation on me, when you were pouring out your rage on me? And they're like, no, of course not. I said, and so I asked them why. Why, why wouldn't I retaliate? And they didn't have an, have an answer. And I said, well, it's because the moment of you pouring out your rage on me is the best opportunity I have to show you how much I love you. It's the best moment, the best opportunity I have to reveal that my heart is actually for you and was never against you. It's the best opportunity I have to undo the deception from the one who deceived you into believing you couldn't trust me. You know, as I typed, as I typed up these words, a song came on uh, the coffee shop where I was sitting and it was uh, the lyrics, there is no fear in love. That literally happened as I was typing up this story. Um, a famous philosopher once said that you can measure the power of a being by how much violence it can absorb without retaliating. You can measure the power of a being by how much violence it can absorb without retaliating. And so today, I wanna talk about why the cross was God using the best opportunity he had to let us pour out our rage on him and not retaliate towards us, regaining our trust, our affection, and our love to see him rightly again. Both Malachi 3.6 and Hebrews 13.8 declare that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means that God does not change, right? So simple question, did the cross change God? No, he doesn't change. So who changed at the cross? He's always good. He's always loving. He's always all powerful. No matter how this world changes, no matter how this world responds, God is consistent. So what, what's like a really consistent description, a biblical historical description of Jesus or a metaphor about who he is, his nature? Can you think of one? It rhymes with, he is the blam blame from the blondation blood of the blurled. <laughs> he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, from the creation, from creation. This is part of his nature. Isn't that an interesting descriptor of Jesus? You know, and it's not, just, uh, it's not just one place in the Bible where Jesus is described as a lamb. It's all over the place. Here are a few examples. In Revelation 5, John the Beloved sees Jesus as a lamb slain in the throne room, and he's the one who is worthy. All the angels and saints begin singing that he is worthy worthy to receive honor and praise because he was slain and by his blood, he ransomed people for God from every corner of the world. How about the, how about the cool uh, allegory of Genesis 22 when there's a ram stuck in the thicket, when Abram goes to sacrifice Isaac, the angel says, don't do this thing. And, and at that moment, Abram sees a ram with his horns stuck in thorns to be the sacrifice for that moment. 
How about in, at, at Passover, when the essence or the, the blood of the lamb is put on the doorpost, which means that the lamb took the death that was coming our way, and when we were covered by the essence of the blood of the lamb, it protected us from the death that was coming. How about Isaiah 53, like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silence, silence so he opened not his mouth. Or John the Baptist, the actual herald, the voice calling out in the wilderness, he sees Jesus and twice calls him the lamb. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Here's a really good one. This is Peter. I don't, I don't know if you have the, uh, the notes, but this is 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. It says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And, jo and God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. This is Peter. Man, did Peter change his ways. He like must have had a serious awakening after you know, he pulled out a sword and cut off a dude's ear. And Jesus in that moment says, Peter, put, put your sword away. Which begs the question, if, if Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and he's telling Peter his you know, his, you know, A-team member, you know, the, the first pope, if you will, if he's telling Peter, <laughs> don't, use, don't use your sword. Or how about in James when it says the wrath of, of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. If, if, if God's like best descriptor from before time is a lamb slain, it begs the question, does Jesus use violence as a mean to an end? The cross is this scandalous collision of opposites, right? We saw violence, but it wasn't God's violence. We saw the, the worst of man meeting the best of divinity in that place. Our violence was met with his mercy. In fact, uh, eternal divine blood pouring from his body landed on the wood of a dead tree. The thorns of our insanity were actually pressed into the perfect mind of God. A torture device invented from the darkest corner of the mind of fallen man has turned into a sign of eternal life because he absorbed all of our violence. We did not see sinners in the hands of an angry God, but we certainly saw God in the hands of an angry sinner. Turn to Matthew 5.38. We didn't see sinners in the hands of an angry God, but we saw God in the hands of angry sinners. This is Matthew 5.38. Uh, you know the, the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, it's this rich section where Jesus is really revealing all this, this beautiful truth of walking like we're from heaven. This is Matthew 5, 38. 
You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give him your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Is, uh, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. So the, the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, it's it's not just like requirements or what it looks like to be a saint. It's actually describing what God is like. These are identifiers of God. Jesus is describing himself in every single line. He's saying, I don't resist an evil person, which we saw obviously perfectly manifested on the path to the cross. Love your enemies. Jesus is saying, I love, I love my enemies. I pray for them. When someone demands of me one thing, I give them two things. Enemy love is original to only Christianity. There is, there's no other movement that preaches, lay down your life for your enemies. Don't resist evil people. As I'm saying these things, I know that there are two wars waging right now, and we've probably identified which side or which group of humans are the evil ones in each war. Uh, and in this moment, I, I, what I'm not trying to do, I don't want to extrapolate from these scriptures or Jesus's words and try to determine some geopolitical approach to war ethics today. What I want are Jesus's words to transform us today that these words would become part of our identity. I simply want his words to impact us because what would happen if everyone experienced the spirit using these words to transform us, to change the way we responded to violence and evil, to change the way we respond to people who are deceived. So Jesus was and is and will always be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and he will always be Abraham's ram and John the Baptist's lamb. And since his ultimate act of reconciliation was dying on the cross, then shouldn't our perspective and approach to all of life be from that same posture of laid down, self-giving, self-sacrificial love? The only blood on Jesus' hands are his own. The only blood that will ever be on Jesus' hands is his own. In the same way that any of you fathers and mothers, none of you would ever strike your deceived child. Our Father in heaven didn't strike humanity. Maybe one of my, my favorite verses to describe the gospel of reconciliation 2 Corinthians chapter five. These are verses 14 through 19. Verse 14 says, for Christ's love compels us. 
or controls us in the NLT. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one, time, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Another version says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. I think that God was, if we were to magnify God in this moment together, God was most clearly magnified and his love was most clearly shown when Jesus was dying on the cross for us and as us, not counting our sins against us and not uttering even an angry response. He, like the lamb that he is, opened not his mouth. The thing that he did say, though, is that we didn't know what we were doing. God being killed by deceived humanity was God's best opportunity to deliver us from the deception that we ourselves would then walk in laid down love for humanity that is still under deception. When God was being killed by us, by deceived humanity. This was his best opportunity to smuggle love into the grave and to swindle the great swindler, taking the keys of death and freeing us from our fear of death and our insane accusations against our good father. I actually believe that when Jesus was on the cross, he was having these moments when he's peering into, into heaven. And I think he locked eyes with a girl who was deceived. You remember I started talking this morning with my children. Like if, if they were deceived into thinking that I couldn't be trusted, I only tolerated them, that I wasn't safe, and it impacted them the rest of their life. And then they finally had the opportunity to pour out their rage on me. Would I strike them back in return? This is Jesus on the cross in that moment while humanity is pouring out all of our accusation and rage against him. And I believe that he locked eyes with someone in the great cloud is a girl who was once deceived. And as he was breathing his last breath, he was saying, you didn't know what you were doing, Eve. You didn't know you were deceived. You didn't know that you can trust the Father. You didn't know that we can run to him together now. Jesus, we thank you that you've shown us the heart of the Father. You've delivered us from deception. You've brought us out of the domain of darkness and into your kingdom. 
We thank you, Lord, that you showed us what it looks like to to live self-giving, to live a life like a a laid-down lamb. We thank you, God, that since you you never change, Lord, that you are still the lamb slain. Your mercy is still speaking a better word than any other word. Your blood is still speaking a better word right now than any blood of human vengeance or our own constructs of what we think is justice. Your mercy is triumphing over judgment even right now. Lord, that you are delivering us from our fear of the Father. We no longer have to be afraid of you because we see you exactly as you are through the life of Jesus manifested. You came to show us exactly what dad is like. We thank you, Lord, for the power of reconciliation that now we get to walk like you in enemy love, laying down our lives for those who would attempt to kill us. We thank you, Lord that we get to demonstrate the power of your love and your kingdom in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.